I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very next episode of The Remedy with Tovacito. I especially want to give a huge shout out to Vicki Velez, who is the sponsor of today's show. Thank you so much, Vicki. I actually work with Vicki, and she is hilarious. She makes work coming to work that much better. So thank you, Vicki, for being a fan of the show and for sponsoring today's episode and for all of our listeners who are great encouragers and supporters of what we're doing. If you are interested um, in being a sponsor of The Remedy, if you like The Remedy, if you get something out of The Remedy and you want to help me pay Kevin, that would be amazing. He would really appreciate it. He keeps Venmoing, requesting me. <laughs> done it like three times this week. I know I need to pay you. <laughs> it only lets you remind once. <laughs> For the record. I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so uh, if you are interested in being a sponsor of The Remedy, we would love it. It's so easy. All you have to do is go to tovacito.com, click on The Remedy, and <sighs> click on um, Make a Contribution. And Kevin's going to be coughing in the background. But I will turn my microphone sick. off for that. <laughs> <laughs> he's sick today. Poor Kev. Um, okay, we are so excited to have Dr. Barnes, uh, Dr. Gary Barnes, back in the studio today. Um I didn't mean to turn our music back on. But <laughs> I was like, what? Does he <laughs> I just only hit that fader. <laughs> I thought you were going to do Sorry, the Tom. clapping thing. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, Dr. Barnes has been on our show twice before, and um, there's always great feedback. People love you, and people want to know when you're coming back. So wow. he's back. Thanks for he's having back. me back. Yeah, thanks such for a, coming. Such a privilege. I really look forward to it. Well, you're great at it. I, I keep telling you, you need to have your own. Uh, it's only great because you make it good, Tova. Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, okay, so I asked um, Dr. Barnes to come back, and we kind of chatted about what we could talk about. I've actually had um, several people reach out to me and ask me, to uh, have either you or Janice, my therapist, on to talk about uh, reconciling. How do you, if you've broken up or if you're married and separated and considering divorce, um, how do you work to get back together? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's funny, I know a ton of people who break up and get back together. Yeah. I'm sure you know a ton of people right. who break up and get back together. You know, there's even a third category. What is it? Those who divorce and remarry. Oh. I, I have some of those couples really? that I work with, too. Yeah. I can't imagine that. I, I can't imagine going through all the pain of a divorce and then... It's huge. Getting back. Does it work? I have one couple that was divorced for 11 years and then got back together, and they've, they're together three years so far. Wow. What? Wow. I know. Amazing. 11 years. Yeah. And did they, did either of them marry anybody else? No. They just stayed, were single for 11 they years. They co-parented for 11 years. And did they always get along? Uh, I think it improved over the 11 years. Wow. Yeah. 
It's impressive. I don't think it was good at the beginning. I don't think it's ever good at the beginning. Yeah. Getting a divorce is, I don't know anybody who was like, yeah, it was, it was not hard or it wasn't a big deal. Or yeah, it's, it's such a terrible process. It's a terrible through. process. It's a t- and it brings out the worst in people. It's so sad. E- even when each person says, we're going to do this well, mm-hmm. um, the Somewhere system itself the mm-hmm. turns it. It's true. And the attorneys don't help. They have everything to gain from making it adversarial. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. I mean, I, I felt myself when I was getting divorced, I felt myself fighting my, att- my attorney for because he... Yeah. Like, I don't want to do that. I know. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to yeah. be that kind of person. It's such a hard system to work in. Yeah. My attorney actually made me sign something uh, that said he disagreed. <laughs> with what you're <laughs> with doing. With what I was doing. Yeah. And he, this was not his advice. Right. And I, he wanted to be absolved because yeah, he yeah. wanted me to go for more, get right. more, right, do right. more, whatever. Right. And I was like, I just... I'm you know, it, it's, um, it seems kind of innocent at the beginning because the, the attorney is saying, look, you're my client. I'm for your best interest. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to let me protect you. Mm-hmm. And then it just goes from there in such a bad direction. Yeah. And it's, um, it's just sad yeah. that people have to have that as part of the experience. Yeah, it's true. It's really true. So some people get back together and it's probably a good thing and then other people probably get back together and it's a bad thing and maybe they stay together, maybe yeah. they don't stay together, but I I have never broken up with someone and then got back together. Uh-huh. And I think I just, even if it became tempting, right. I think I would force myself to remember why it didn't work. Right. Like I would force myself. Right, right. Well, that's the key. It's it's uh, it's not about the breakup itself. It's about why mm-hmm. the breakup needed to happen. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in some cases, breakups should not try to get back together. Again. And what are those cases? What well, are those circumstances where you would not recommend it? I know, know that's a I big think, question. Of course, it's always the safety issue. Mm. Um, but then safety goes beyond just physical safety. It's also emotional safety. Mm-hmm. Do you see a lot of couples where there's abuse? Yes. Really? Yes. And it's, it, it goes across all boundaries. Wow. Affluent, Is that hard for you? Affluent, white collar, you would never expect. It's there as well. Is, that, is it hard for you? Because, okay, one thing that I find so fascinating about you and other people who I know have see you, we've talked about this, you are so non-emotional as a therapist, which I find fascinating because and helpful. Like, there's no emotion involved. It's just, it is what it is. And you're very, I, I appreciate it very much, and I I, I respect it immensely uh but it's just like here's the facts you know you do what you want to do but (laughs) well i hope the emotion of empathy is there but uh, what i'm trying not to do is to get into the reactive experience that my clients are right no you don't have any of that at all it's fascinating 
Um, but okay, so back to my question: How do you um, how in in those cases where it's so obvious where abuse is taking place, as a as a counselor, mm-hmm. a mental health professional, how do you stay objective towards the abuser when yes. you're counseling? Yes. I would have a difficult so, time. I mean, they're still a human being. They're still a real person. And you have to look below the behavior of the abuse to the underlying motor that's driving that. And, and that's a real need that they have that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they need to be saved from themselves. Is there a common theme among abusers? Is there that you that you have found or experienced? Yeah, I mean, on a, on its most basic level, abuse is a maladaptive coping style mm-hmm. or strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a unhealthy way of trying to meet unaddressed needs in the person's life, mm. and it's typically a lot of personal hurt and pain that's deep and goes way back in their history. Mm. Usually from childhood? Is it usually from... Yeah, often. Not necessarily, but Mm -hmm. um, this often uh, repeats from family of origin experiences, and it was a similar thing they may have experienced growing up. Mm -hmm. Familiar. Yeah. Do most people who are in a who are in an abusive relationship, did the abuse take place before they ever got married? Uh, Sometimes, but that's not common. Usually it's kind of under wraps until the deal is done. Really? So they kind of hide that part of themselves. Somebody gets, that's scary. Yeah. So it's uh, important that this kind of a whole separate podcast. I know, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this but, is what uh, happens when you, think. Um, you know in our field we think of it as two different types of abuse. Um, one is reactive and so it's that's more of a two-person experience dynamic where we bump into problems, differences, conflicts like all couples inevitably have and we get into an escalation with each other. So one negative, gets exchanged with an even greater negative, which gets exchanged with an even greater negative. Mm-hmm. And so that, that becomes abusive. Mm-hmm. Okay, So that's kind of our negative emotions out of control. And we're kind of driving under the influence of those negative emotions, and, and we become abusive. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a whole different category than what we refer to as characterological abuse. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And so this is where the abuse is not out of control. It's all about control. Mm. And it's part of that maladaptive coping strategy. Mm. And it's, it's a mixture, actually, of abusive behavior and kind and loving behavior. And so it's, it's a total manipulative control strategy. Wow. And... Okay, I promise I'll get off this topic. But do they know that they're doing it? Uh, You're saying it's a strategy. So are they consciously doing these things? Yes. Wow. That's the control piece of it. That's scary Yeah. that that's out there. Yeah. 
What's scary is that there's people that we that I probably know who are in those kinds of relationships. Absolutely. And they're they're hiding it. In the highest levels of our social strata in our churches. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. A- another podcast. Okay, yeah. Well, let's keep going back to Okay. <laughs> okay, so if when when uh, a couple comes in and they, uh, they've been working with you. Let's just say they've been working with you. They've been trying really, really hard. And uh, they break, but they break up because they just, one or both are done. Can't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Um, what happens? What happens to them emotionally? What happens to, like when you break up, let's talk through the yes. breakup first. What is the expectation? What can somebody expect? to feel, to go through, what's the emotional roller coaster yeah, yeah. when that happens? So, of course, it, it, uh, the degree of it is going to vary depending on the depth and the duration of the attachment. Mm-hmm. So in any relationship, when we're coming together, where there's initial attraction, mm-hmm. and then as we spend time together, we begin to form an attachment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, the, the longer and the deeper that attachment is, when the loss of that comes, the more significant the impact of that is going to be. That makes sense. Yeah. And so uh, let's, let's say it's a significant attachment that is uh, then broken up. Well, that's, that's like a death. Mm-hmm. It's like the death of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you have to grieve the loss of that, just like a, a physical death. It's it's totally changes everything mm-hmm. in your life, mm-hmm. and so um, yeah. Depending on how intertwined, do you have kids? Yeah. Are you married? Are you have a- well? Those are even additional factors yeah. and complications. Yeah. There, but just from the loss of the relationship itself, mm-hmm. that's such a that's such a death. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that I was anticipating I would have, and now I don't have, and it, it just totally changes everything. So depression, is anxiety, these are very, very common co-occurring symptoms that would happen with the loss. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what happens to the brain? It gets wacky. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're biochemically your brain changes. And it's not the same. How? How can you explain that? So your the your brain works, it has one billion synaptic gaps in it. And nerve endings have to send messages through the gap from one nerve to the next nerve to do any normal functioning that we do. And so when we go through a traumatic experience like this, that becomes brain-altering in terms of our neurochemistry. Wow. So we have depleted neurochemicals in our brain that are necessary to provide the electrical charges for those messages to transfer from one nerve to the next nerve. And so it's not a matter of willpower. It's not a matter of spirituality. Your organ doesn't have what it needs to function. That is fascinating. Yes. 
And I'm assuming, I'm just going to assume that the deeper the relationship, the greater the connection, the longer the connection, the relationship, the more wacky and... The bigger the impact yes. on the brain. Wow. And however long that's going to last mm-hmm. is... That, that is so fascinating. So your ability to function well is... is it's a different ballgame. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's not a matter of your willpower or your spirituality. It's, this is about your biochemistry mm. at this point. Yeah. I have to say, when I, when I got divorced, I felt that. Mm-hmm. I felt that. I, and I, uh, on so many levels, yeah. on so many levels, I felt that. I felt like I couldn't do a lot well. Well, I know this sounds kind of strange, but if you didn't feel that, then we would have other concerns about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, that's good. (laughs) And it's probably comforting for people to hear that, you know, Mm -hmm. who are experiencing a breakup or experiencing the loss of a a relationship, that you can give yourself some grace for how deep deeply it yes. affects you and yes. how crazy You'd you have might to feel. have realistic expectations about what you're going through. So let's say I dated someone five years mm-hmm. and we had a deep connection. We'd mm-hmm. never got married. Mm-hmm. Um, what, and, but the loss, like you said, was a debt. What, I mean, is there an average? No. So you can't no, even no. put like two months or two years on it. You know, we have such individual mm-hmm. differences mm-hmm. from person to person. Yeah, that makes sense. That um, you can only give a range, and the the range even becomes meaningless for each individual. Yeah. So, just allowing yourself some mm-hmm. patience and grace for yeah for the brain to recalibrate. Yeah. Now, once you're there, once you're at that loss and you're experiencing the negative impact of that, a thing that really does make a huge difference is all of the follow-up choices from that point forward. So um, you have this huge stressor that you're not going to get rid of. You have to have that. But what you could do is really increase your support to counterbalance that. And so these, these would be, of course, at the individual level, but also in your um, community level and, and also your spiritual level. So mm-hmm. all of those things kind of coming together are very significant factors on what the recovery of this is going to look like. Mm. So if somebody comes in and their, their relationship is ending, what what are some of the things what what's some of the advice that you have for them in order to yeah to make that process even as painful as it's going to be less painful yeah so we would do like a support <laughs> assessment we we would look at your individual world we'd look at your spiritual world and we'd look at your community world mm-hmm. and see what do we need to do to kind of maximize all of these things mm-hmm. um to help actually facilitate this process that you're not going to be able to skip. Mm -hmm. So you you can't like go around it. You can't avoid it. You're going to have to go through it, but we want to maximize all of your supports to get you through it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what advice do you give the couple? Like, I'm sure you're, you are like, don't talk or don't, you know, try as hard as you can to 
well, really kind of separate? I mean, how do you, um, and so do you many, have advice around yeah, that? Yeah, so many cases that's not even possible, especially if there's children yeah, involved. That's because true. even though you're no longer in a spousal relationship or no longer in a romantic relationship with each other, you, unless you die or your kids die, you will be continuing in a co-parenting relationship. So you want to have to, you don't want to like alienate the person from the co-parent. You want to build a business-like, civil, workable relationship mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. What if there's not children involved? What advice do you give? So, um, again, I would say it's going to vary from each situation. Sometimes people would benefit from not having to have any involvement. Mm -hmm. Even though there's not children, sometimes people are sharing a social network or mm -hmm. a spiritual community mm -hmm. that they can't separate from. Yeah. And that's a big challenge. Yeah. So you'd have to learn about ways that we can relate, but way higher up on the relational funnel, like we've talked about before. Mm -hmm. So we're not relating in the same way that we used to relate. Mm -hmm. and, and it's going to be a kind, respectful, cordial kind of a relating, like business-like. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> what if somebody comes in, they've broken up, they come in to you, and they say, okay, I, I miss him so much. Mm -hmm. I miss her so much. Mm -hmm. I, I want... I want to reconnect. I want to mm -hmm. reach back out. I want to try to see if maybe we could get back together. Yes. What, wh how do you take someone through that process? So the whole process of reconciliation uh, needs to be very well understood by everybody involved if they're going to enter into it, that this can only be possible by the work of both people, mm -hmm. one person can never do the work of reconciliation. Mm, that's, that's good advice. And, so and if, I'm sure that there's usually, and maybe I'm wrong, it would seem that there's probably always one person who wants it a little more. Yeah, it doesn't have to be 50-50, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it can't be one person doing the work for two people. Yeah. And so you would want to get a clear sense from each person before you would ever even begin that process that we're both in on this. This is what we're both going to do. Mm -hmm. it, we're both going to try. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I get that. Now, one uh, little distinction I was thinking about before coming in today that might be helpful is to think about reconciling also on a continuum. So we have what I call like our, our kind of mini or micro reconciling and then our maxi or macro reconciling. Okay. okay. So for couples who are together, and um, let's say they're even a couple that we talked about in that group number three. They're together and glad they're together. Mm -hmm. On day-to-day -day life, there's many micro-reconciliations that need to happen. 
even though we're not saying we're separating, we're not even, we're always under the same roof, there's lots of reconciling that has to happen. John Gottman refers to these as quick repairs. Can you give an example? Quick repairs. Yeah. Um, so let's say um, we're getting all ready for our date night, and um, we've been both looking forward to it. We get out on a date. Um, things have been real busy for both people, and, and once we get there, you know, we put our orders in, and then the waiter's gone, and then we're just sitting there looking at each other, and then we start trying to catch up on the business side of things. Johnny this, Susie this, we got this bill, we got that bill, we got this commitment, how are we going to do this? And then we get into, like, differences about the solutions of those things. And before you know it, our date night got robbed into a business meeting. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but emotions get stirred up during the business meeting about the difference. We get into an interaction of my way's better than your way. And then ugly things are said to each other and there goes our date. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that kind of thing happens to the best of couples. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the research of those couples in group number three together and they're glad they're together, those things happen to them. Mm -hmm. So that's not the deal breaker for being together and glad you're together. The difference is whether or not you make a quick repair mm. or not. And so if you don't make quick repairs, then you're adding new problems on top of that problem. Mm. See? And so there's lots and lots of these little reconcilings mm -hmm. that need to be a part of even our daily experience mm -hmm. with each other. Okay, so that's, that's just kind of one example. And then you can go all the way to the other extreme of, let's say, like some of my couples who actually got divorced and then over time they said, okay, I, I think we really should make a good go of it. I think we could. Let's both do the work for this. Well, that's, that's on the far other end <laughs> of the reconciling. Mm -hmm. You know, that's huge work. Mm -hmm. That's not just a quick repair right. kind of right. work. Right. Okay. So that's the micro versus the macro? Macro, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the thing that would be in common all the way across the board for all of them is the two ingredients that are always necessary, but they're also distinct. And this is where we get into problems. We, we don't identify them this way. Is forgiveness and trust. Mm. And so uh, those are non-optional. Those always have to be a part of any reconciling, whether it's a, a micro or a, a maxi-macro See? And so um, there's a lot of confusion even about what both of those things are. Yeah, that's, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. So couples would need to, you know, be very clear on what each is and what each isn't and how they're related and also how they're not related. So forgiveness and trust, are those, I mean, you said those, those two, is that research-driven? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. So that that's... I think it's biblical as well. For uh, sure. Yeah. It's just... Yeah. Good research is always going to be congruent with biblical truth. That's so, so true. I just love seeing that. Yeah. It's really, really true. Okay, so c- can we spend a few minutes talking about people's definition of forgiveness yes. and trust? Yes. And how important it is, I'm sure, that both parties involved share the same idea about what those two words mean. If it's going to reconcile, right. you have to do that, yes. Right. Yeah. So uh, let's talk first of all about what forgiveness does not mean. Okay, that's because good. this is, I think, the first way we get tripped up on this. Okay. So um, it's very unfortunate that we have this phrase "forgive and forget," mm-hmm. and so we often wrongly interpret that phrase as to mean, "In order to forgive, I have to forget," mm-hmm. and that's impossible, mm-hmm. really. And actually, you could say the greater the offense, the more it's going to be stamped in your brain. For sure. It's just a neurological mm-hmm. explanation. It's trauma. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so you also just, by definition, would make a strong case that says forgiveness is actually remembering. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Mm. Because you have to say the truth about what the offense is mm-hmm. to really be able to forgive it. And I'm sure that's really hard. That is. Mm-hmm. That, that makes a big challenge. So, mm-hmm. so but that would be the first thing that we'd want to clear up. Uh, the other thing that we would say forgiveness doesn't mean is it doesn't mean that you no longer feel the pain mm-hmm. or the hurt mm-hmm. or the anger or the resentment or the bitterness. So you don't judge forgiveness by the absence of negative emotions. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that you say that because I think, I think that I think that all those things, the bitterness and the anger and the hurt are an important part of the healing process. Yes. I mean you have to get pissed if somebody yes. does something, that hurts. I mean, uh, that it's, you can't it's believe. It's part of being that human, yes. and you have to be real with it. Yes, yes. I, I yeah. I, I and I think a lot of people, especially Christians, don't allow themselves the freedom because they don't think that it's biblical. Yes. But I, you know, Jesus turned tables. Like he got mad too, and I think that there are behaviors that warrant those emotions. Yeah, it's a, a common thing in our um, spiritual circles that people do too quick of forgiveness, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just so they can say that I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Checked off that box. Yes. Yeah, okay. But they didn't really go through the process of forgiveness. And mm-hmm. so that would be another thing that I would say forgiveness um, that we clarify is forgiveness is not a light switch mm. decision. Yeah. It's, it's a process yeah. that you go through yeah. to get through. Now, ultimately, there does come a point of time where you do get to a point of releasing, Yeah, but uh, that's not a light switch right. thing. That's a process thing. When I was, when I was getting divorced, uh, I, have, I have a dear friend who's just a phenomenal example to me, and, and she, was, she went before 
me getting divorced and Mm -hmm. she just did that process beautifully. Mm. And she just really set an amazing example for me about how I wanted to do it. Wow. Yes. And I was very See, that's a great example of that support thing I was talking about. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. And she was very supportive and she... But one thing that she said about forgiveness that I'll I'll take to my grave, I just love it. Um, One day I was with her just so sad and crying and I asked her, I said, how did, how did you forgive? Like, how do you, how did you do that? Like, you know, you did it so well. And mm-hmm. she said, I, I'm still doing it. Yeah. And I was like, what? Yeah. Because it seemed that she, like that part of it was gone. You know, she said, are you kidding? Mm-hmm. She said, I wake up every single day mm-hmm. and I forgive again. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, I make the decision every day, yes. you know, cause the, right. cause every day to some degree for, you know, whether it's because she's got to see him at lacrosse or you right. know, she, like, and she's got to see the girl, you know, the new girlfriend. I mean, the, you, she had to make that decision every single yeah. day. Well, that brings up the next thing I would say it is not. And it's not a linear, straight line mm-hmm. process. Mm-hmm. It's much more of a spiraling, repeating mm-hmm. kind of a process. Mm-hmm. So um, even if I go through a really great process and have this great sense of releasing it, in the future, there's going to be new things that come to mind, new dimensions that I am now dealing with that I wasn't dealing with later. Like you're triggered by something? Is that well let's say um let's say it involves our challenge in co parenting. Okay. So each new stage that our children go through and each new challenge that they have that I'm connecting to the bad choices of the other spouse See, I'm going to get new awarenesses and real realizations of the cost of all of oh, this. That makes sense. See? Yeah. So that's why it's, a, it's not just a straight line, yeah. linear process. There's not like a recipe yeah. that you do the six steps and then you're done. Right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the other thing that's important is forgiveness is not saying that there's no consequences. Mm-hmm. So I've had, I, I can remember one particular family that I worked with. It was a large family, and um, there was incest with the father sexually abusing a daughter God. in the family. And the entire family worked really hard um, to work through a forgiveness process over a long period of time. And I, I think they did beautifully at it. Um, but the father still went to jail. Yeah. See? So just because we're forgiving, that doesn't mean there's no consequences. Wow. Yeah. And so a lot of times mm-hmm. that becomes a barrier to me extending forgiveness because I think that gives the message that there shouldn't be consequences or that I'm condoning the offense mm-hmm. that I'm trying to forgive. 
So those are separate and distinct. Yeah. I think that's a really important thing to say because I think a lot of people hold on to not forgiving. Yes. Because in their minds, if they forgive them, then somehow I, you lose power, right? Yeah. And And it's a facade, but you lose power because your anger and and your pain uh if you if you are if you let go of that and mm -hmm. forgive then somehow you're sending the message that what they did was okay yes and that's not true exactly yeah. but if i'm thinking that you can see why i wouldn't want to forgive oh yeah right that makes perfect yeah. sense the other thing that's closely related to that and a reason why it's um people don't want to forgive uh, is because it becomes a sense of protection. Mm -hmm. See, So if I think that forgiving you means that now I trust you, mm. so that's where forgiveness does not mean I trust you. Yeah. See, So I could 100% distrust you and still 100% be able to forgive you. Mm -hmm. yep. uh, and so th this is why it's really important to say, when I forgive you, we're not reconciled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We, got, we got half of the ingredients for mm -hmm. reconciling mm -hmm. if I'm forgiving you. Mm -hmm. And if this is going to work. But then we'd have to have trust in order for it to be reconciled. Right. See? So that's another big reason why people wouldn't be able to forgive is because they know that they can't trust the person. They don't, they don't believe that they could be reconciled. Mm -hmm the way things currently are. Mm -hmm. And so their kind of protection for that, because they would just be putting themselves in harm's way again. Mm -hmm. So their mm -hmm. pr protection for that, as they understand it, would be to say, I can't, I can't forgive you. Mm -hmm. But, but that's really related. not true. Yeah, the two are not If related. you make them distinct, then mm -hmm. uh, that would free up forgiveness, mm -hmm. even though you can't trust mm -hmm. the person. Um, so I think those are really key distinctives mm -hmm. that can really facilitate the process mm -hmm. of forgiveness mm -hmm. if we're thinking correctly about those things. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness, I, I, I have learned, this has just been my experience, that th I, I forgive completely and totally because I know what it does for me. I mean... Really, uh, I, I, I would like to say I'm such an amazing person that <laughs> that I just forgive everyone. But right. I, I have worked through like there's nobody in my life that I would that I have not forgiven for anything that has been done mm -hmm. to me. But honestly, mostly because there's so many things I've done that I have been forgiven right. for, and right. and that is. Like, I am so grateful for the people who have forgiven me. Yes. You know, because that it's a terrible thing to, to not be forgiven when yes. you are very, very, very sorry. Right. Yes. It's so true. And, um, you know, there's, um, I think Lewis Smeads made the comment that to not forgive gives us the sense that we're poisoning the other person mm -hmm. but we're actually drinking the poison ourselves yeah and expecting the other person to die yeah. 
<laughs> I've heard that quote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's 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 such an important sense of personal freedom to work yourself yeah. through yeah. the forgiveness process, and the um, it's it's not necessary or required that the other person ask for forgiveness yes. or apologize. Yeah, that's a real. I'm so glad you brought that point up. I used to think that. Mm-hmm. I used to think, well, I can't forgive them. They didn't say they were sorry. Yes. It has nothing to do. Right, I mean, right. And that's a really, I was in my 20s, but it was a very immature outlook on, on my behalf. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it's understandable. We yeah. would see it as a condition, but it's really not. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've had adults uh, in my private practice forgive parents that have been dead for years yeah. who never asked for forgiveness and would, would have been so shocked that you would even think they would need to ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So very important. So that does kind of get us to, well, why then would a person forgive? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what would be the reasons for it? And so I think what you're identifying right now, Tova, is, is so key, is uh, you need to do it for your own personal health and well-being. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of In if the spirit. other person is you know, asking for it or wanting it or even think that they need to be forgiven. Holding on to all of that is, is it's, it's a weight. It's toxic. Yeah. It's a burden. Yeah. It really is a burden. And it's, um, I, I mean, I didn't expect for us to talk about that. And it's understandable that that would be part of the, an important part of reconciling, but, but there's just a whole bunch of people who need to forgive if, even if you're not reconciling, you know, yes. <laughs> just, right. there's just a whole bunch of stuff out there that people hold on to. Well, and if you think uh, on our, uh, you know, low end of the continuum of any relationship, um, there always has to be an ongoing forgiveness dynamic going sure. on because we're all broken people in a broken world. Yeah. And so we're going to do broken things, yep. you know, and, and that breaks the relationship. Yeah. So. Um, I, I need to be, you know, really good at forgiveness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, things that can uh, help me in that process is also, like you said, just realizing how much I've been forgiven. Yeah. And that, you know, can be from other people uh, and also from God especially. Sure. Um, that becomes a whole game changer mm-hmm. on thinking that, I could withhold forgiveness in light of all that I've been forgiven. Mm-hmm. That's how does that go together? Yeah. See? Yeah. So that can become a real motivating factor to be more and more gripped by how much I've been forgiven. Yeah. It's hard to read those passages in the Bible mm-hmm. about, I mean, there's a lot of passages that are saying the kind of the same thing that we're saying right now. Yeah. It's hard to read those and imagine that you would have, like, who am I to hold on to anything? Right. You know, when, when I have been forgiven mm-hmm. already by our God for everything that I've done. Right. I mean, when we get hurt, we just become self-focused. Mm-hmm. And then when we become self-focused, we lose the perspective of how much I've been forgiven. Yeah, for sure. So it all goes together yeah. quite naturally. Okay, let's talk about trust. Okay, trust. So the, um, the basic formula for trust is that it definitely requires a process. 
-hmm. And of course, the greater the offense, the greater the process. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a, it's a simple uh, formula of the offender has to continue to make trust deposits and no trust withdrawals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and over time, the, the dividends start to accrue from that. Mm -hmm. uh, but trust is never granted. Mm -hmm. Trust is only earned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when there is an uh, offense, especially a significant offense, um, the thing that makes this challenging is the sometimes, not all the time, the offender realizes the depth of the damage, the hurt, and the pain, mm -hmm. and they're ready to move forward. Mm -hmm. And they're ready to make trust deposits and no trust withdrawals. Mm -hmm. So on their side, they say, okay, I got it going. Oftentimes, the problem becomes on the one who was offended. They have trust work to do, too. They don't have to make trust deposits and no trust withdrawals mm -hmm. in the same way that the other person does. But they have to be able to risk trust. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they, in other words, they have, they don't extend blind trust. You don't just grant trust, Yeah. but you have to be able to say, I'm going to give you an opportunity to demonstrate to me that you are being trustworthy. Mm -hmm. and because Even though you have done something to yeah, and so you, you can To take, damage that. Yes. At some point. Even though you've totally mm -hmm. betrayed it and blown it away. Mm -hmm. See? Mm -hmm. and, and so this, again, depending on the history, that shapes the challenge of this. Mm -hmm. So let, let's say a couple, um, you know, a lot of guys travel for business, and, uh, it, and it's even a weekly thing. I'm gone, like, you know, Monday to Wednesday or Monday through Thursday every week, and Mm -hmm. My company even has a place for me to live in the other city that I go to every time. So mm -hmm. uh, it'd be easy to live a secret life, a double life mm -hmm. like that, right? And you could even maybe do it for years. Mm -hmm. And let's say that gets discovered. Mm -hmm. Well, that's such a huge betrayal, mm -hmm. And so to reestablish trust in a situation like that is going to be really hard on both sides. Yeah. It's going to be hard to keep making those trust deposits and no trust withdrawals. But actually, I think the thing that's going to be harder is the offended person ex risking trust being reestablished. Mm. See, because it would be so much easier to just say, you did that for so long, you could never be trusted. Mm -hmm. You could never regain trust. Sure. And even if the person is making those deposits and no withdrawals, they don't register, mm -hmm. see, because they're stuck in the historical box. Mm -hmm. And it's just out of self-protection that sure. you would never want to be hurt again yeah. in that same way. So, it's, I mean, it's very understandable. Mm -hmm. But if that can't happen you won't be able to reconcile. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure you see that. Yes, like I do. Like people who can't get past it. Yes. They want to, um, but they just, yes. they can't. People who, who feel that, um, 
if what if they are like I I don't want to be thinking about this. I don't want to worry about this. I want to believe the new trust deposits, mm-hmm. but I can't. Like, do you have? Adv- I mean, is there any advice that you can give them about m- trying to move that will help them move past staying in that box that yeah. that doesn't allow them to forgive and and believe very much i mean that's that's what we actively engage in are those kinds of strategies and mm-hmm. and um, so we're we're having to be very real and honest mm-hmm. about the nature of the work that has mm-hmm. to be done mm-hmm. But we're also trying to bring back that this is still doable work. Mm. See? Yeah. And it's going to take a lot of supports from multiple areas, especially your individual, your spiritual, and your social community. Yep. And it's it's going to take a lot of repetition. Mm -hmm. That's the part I think that people get weary about. Yes. And and I I. I have seen it in both parties. Like, let's just say, you know, to your point, five year, he's traveling, he's got a double life, it gets exposed. He says, I'll give it all up. I I Mm -hmm. won't travel anymore. I'll come home. I'm going to make deposits. Well, she's got all this anger, fear, hurt, you know, deep, deep, deep pain Mm -hmm. that's going to take a long, long, long time. It does of deposit, 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 deposit. And and those first probably thousand deposits don't mean a whole bunch, I'm sure. And then, so the guy is probably like, what the hell? Like, right. when are you going to, when, when is this going to change? Like, how are you still so upset? Yeah. Why are you still so hurt? Look mm-hmm. at all I've been doing. Right, right. I'm sure you see people get weary. And, and so both people... Mm-hmm have to be enduring this really painful, difficult process. Mm-hmm. You've got to be in for a, the long haul. It takes haul. a lot from both sides yeah. for that to happen. Yeah. Probably too much that some... I, I, it's been my experience with, with people that I have done pastoral counseling with and or just been friends with that... I think for a lot of people, the desire to to get back together to make it work um, is there. It's just that they get weary. Yes, they get weary, yeah. and so it's it's not even well. It was the thing, you know. The thing is why they're getting divorced, but it was had more to do with what happened after the thing, you know. Like they just both got to that a point process. where they couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. It was just too hard. It can definitely get beyond our human resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. I don't think you can do it without all of those things that you named. Mm-hmm. And, you know, without the individual support, the community, and the spiritual component. Right. I mean, you can't. You cannot. It mm-hmm. can't work if you don't get all That's those right. things right. Um, on the... On the positive side of it, though, to think about the couples who are not only saying, I'm in for the long haul, Mm -hmm. but they actually stick through the process as they're accessing all of those supports. What happens is it, it not only 
restores or reconciles a relationship, but it, it creates a whole transformation experience individually yeah. in people. Yeah. See? Yeah, I mean, you, you can't go through something like that and be the same. Yeah, no way. And I bet your relationship is 10 million times better than it ever was. Well, it's on a whole different plane field. Yeah. If, yeah. if you can go through that kind of a process mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have, what, like, what's your greatest comeback story of a couple? I do have a couple. I think my greatest comeback story is a couple that was divorced for 11 years and came back together. And I think um, they're three years now in the Together and Glad We're Together group. That is unbelievable. That is amazing. Wow. And did they have children? Yes. Wow. Yeah. I wonder what my children would do. If yeah. <laughs> 11 years later. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, think, I think the thing, the children were very supportive of it. That's good. And so they all celebrated the remarriage. Mm-hmm. They had a big ceremony. Um, but I think that was all because they did such a good job in their co-parenting during that time. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, it didn't start off that way, but they moved in that direction yeah. over time. It's just such a better way to be. I mean, my ex-husband and I, we get along so well. Mm. We, I mean, we celebrate birthdays together. And yes. his, his dad just had a birthday. We were all at dinner wow. together, had a blast. That's hard. And we, I mean, we get along great yeah. and we co-parent great we at, if something's going on with one of the kids yeah. he's the first person i call he's the only person i yeah. call really i mean we that's awesome yeah i've you don't get that naturally I, no but you know what it's kind of like your to your point if both parties yes say okay this is what we're going to do because this is what is best this for is our best. children um and for us i mean it's so much better that we mm-hmm. get along yeah. I mean, we really get along. Just for even personal health and well-being. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're not always stressed out about that. Yeah. Oh, I, I can't imagine. I mean, as much as I see him with our kids' stuff, I can't imagine those scenarios where there's the tension and the bitterness and, mm-hmm. yet, you know, you're ignoring each other. And that, that would just be yeah. really hard. I, life is too short. And it's such a difference maker for the kids. Oh, yeah. I think it's made... My, our children are so well adjusted mm-hmm. and uh and they know that you know I'm not thinking this about dad and dad's right. not thinking this about mom they know yes, we're going to yes. always be on the same page with discipline right. and and I it, I think it's really made a difference in their lives yeah and we might have mentioned this earlier but I'll go ahead and repeat it um it's not divorce per se that creates maladjustment in children. It's the things that naturally go with divorce. Mm. And the two big predictors are, do the parents remain in conflict with one another after divorce? Wow. Generally speaking, co-parenting increases conflict rather than reduces conflict. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think if I can just get divorced, then my conflict will be over with. And in most cases, that if you're co-parenting, that mm-hmm. increases. Wow. See? But it doesn't have to, just no. like the story you're telling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other is that each parent would support the relationship of the children with the other parent. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's really good advice. If you can do those two things, that's such a difference maker. I'm so glad you said that because so many people who listen to this are divorced. Yeah. And that's really, really, really good advice. Yeah. And so it's, it's possible. Sure. It's just not natural. Right. See, what's natural is conflict will increase and the other parent gets trashed to the kids. Yeah. And that's just, it's poison. Yeah. Because kids want to love their parents. They yes. just, and they need to. They don't want to have to choose. Yeah, of course not. Right. And when you're trashing, you're putting them in a position to choose. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I think that's abusive. I really do. Yeah. It's a big word, but I do think that's abusive. All right. Well, we talked about reconciliation okay. and a lot of other amazing yes. things. <laughs> don't you love my rabbit trail? Yes. That's what's so fun about it. You're so smart. I just love talking to you. Thank you. Thank, thank, you, thank you. you. You'll be back next week. Okay. Let's to talk do it. about cohabitation. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Barnes. Bye.